Yeah, I mean, I think I think I was initially drawn to this type of storytelling and 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 to older characters in general um, because I'm very close, um, particularly with one of my grandmothers. Both I, I I'm very lucky to have two grandmothers that are alive, and there's one in particular that we have sort of a beautiful um, kinship and um, who she really has like an artistic spirit herself. Um, so I think that was part of the reason why I've been drawn to why a lot of my muses are over 65. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are changing the way we think about what is possible in our lives, especially as we age. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. And I love to hear from my listeners, so leave me a comment on ZestfulAging.com. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, who was a guest on Zestful Aging. Her CD, Buffalo Motel, is out now, and you can find out more about her on judybanker.com. Can you imagine being so multi-talented that you wrote for the New York Times and the New York Times Magazine, you worked as a creative director for Grammy Award-winning musicians, and you made films with Emmy and Pulitzer Prize award winners. It's kind of hard to imagine. But coming up is my conversation with Maureen Toey, who says her muse has always been her beloved grandmother. And we learn about the woman behind all of those amazing accomplishments. I know that everyone is feeling really stressed and anxious right now. We're all unsettled and feel out of control. So I created a free download for you for maintaining mental health based on my 30 years as a psychotherapist. Um, just go to zestfulaging.com and it is all yours. Well, as usual, I've, I've got my sleeping Jack Russell Sparky right by my side. So let's begin. Today, we're speaking with Maureen Towie, who's a multi-talented director and producer working across artistic mediums. She's worked as a creative director for Grammy Award-winning musicians and as the senior producer for The Daily 360 at The New York Times. Towie's also worked as a contributing photo editor at The New York Times Magazine, where she produced 10 short films for their Great Performer series, starring Melissa McCarthy and Lily Tomlin. Maureen came onto my radar when another zestful aging guest, Carol Bradley Bursack, you might remember her, she circulated Maureen's short film, The Eighth Year of the Emergency, in which a family reckons with their mother's cognitive decline. And she's also involved in many initiatives to improve elder care. Welcome to the show, Maureen. Hi, thanks. Hi, it's hard to put you in a box here. <laughs> you really are across all artistic mediums. And um, it, it's really interesting to read about you. You have so many projects going on. Could you talk a little bit about, let's start with the film. What? Mm -hmm. oh, how did that come about? Well, um, you know, I, I have a, a body of artistic work around... Um, older characters around aging, dementia. These are the topics that 
um, fascinate me. And so many years ago, as I was um, reading books about Alzheimer's and dementia to prepare for a project, I read um, Eleanor Fuchs's book, Making an Exit, which was about caretaking for her mother through her mother's um, struggle with dementia over many, many years. And um, there was a passage in that book where Eleanor had recorded her mother um, speaking sort of almost like a monologue during a particularly joyful day they were having. But it was at a point in her uh, dementia, her Alzheimer's, where her language was really um, fractured, but somehow the truth of what she was trying to get across really came through in this very broken poetic language. It, to me, it read like a Samuel Beckett monologue. Mm. Um, and so it really uh, stuck with me for years and years. I kept coming back to it. And then finally, I thought, you know what, this is a short film. Um, like this is a beautiful character and I would love to um, bring this to life on the screen. Um, so that's how it started. Mm-hmm. And so how does this, how, how, do, how does one go about this? I know you've had filmmaking experience. Um, how does one start? You say, who would I like to play these characters? Well, how does this yeah. go? Well, it was sort of a slow process of adapting um the this portion of the book into the script and that kind of slowly happened over the course of about a year or so with Eleanor's um, support and blessing and um and then I I brought it to Mary Beth Peel um who is this exquisite actress um who I had worked with once before in a theater workshop it was actually we had done a a workshop of Chekhov's three sisters but we did it with all actors over 65 um so she played my lead in that playing you know a 16 year old being played by a 70 year old or whatever the age difference was at that point so I knew Mary Beth can do anything Mm -hmm. um in my mind and so I brought um the script to her and she very graciously said that she would do it and that's really what got it got it moving. Um, once she was on board, we were able to um, attract a really exceptional cast. I mean, mm-hmm. I was pleasantly surprised <laughs> by who said yes. Um, you know, we had Philippa Sue, who is the original cast of Hamilton, Linda Eamond, who is like one of the best stage actresses in the on the planet. I mean, and also has been in like every movie. She's one of those people who once you look at her at IMDb, you're like, oh, she is <laughs> everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and Marcia Stephanie Blake, who is just Emmy nominated. Um, and uh, uh, Jeffrey DeMunn, who's in Billions. I mean, it was like, I was like blushing one day. <laughs> but part of it was because Mary Beth um, said yes, and they wanted to work with her as well. But also a lot of them had personal connections to someone in their family who had Alzheimer's. Philippa's Philippa's grandfather had Alzheimer's. She was able to bring that experience um, to the table. Um, So it was really once we had the that cast, you know, and then and then we had a a really amazing crew as well. Um, And, uh, you know, just contributors across the boards, Caroline Shaw did our um, music, and she has a Pulitzer. And um, she also had personal connections to the story. Um, And uh, Sarah Brochar, our editor is actually Spielberg's editor. Um, But (laughs) I know it's absurd. There's a but lot of fancy uh, yeah, accolades yeah. for uh, for, and no, I will I mean, say for you as well. Um, well, yeah, I mean, and it's. <laughs> I, I think I think it does. A, you know, it's a testament to 
um, Alzheimer storytelling and that people, a lot of people have a personal connection to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the script was, was good, I, if I don't say so myself, but I also think that people just had a reason in their gut mm-hmm. to want to connect to a story like this. Um, so yeah, with that team, it, it becomes easy when you have a team that is that amazing. So um, could you describe for our audience, I mean, I, I'll certainly uh, want to tell you my impression of it, but describe <laughs> to the audience what is happening, What what's the scene about? Yeah, I mean, basically it's... Um, um, the main character, Lil, it's her birthday and her family is visiting her on her birthday. Um, they have to, she lives in a, in a, um, a retirement community in a, a memory, uh, with some medical facilities. Um, but they're basically, they have a, an appointment with the doctor where they do what's called a mini mental, which is sort of a standard, um, memory test for someone with Alzheimer's or dementia, sort of testing where they are on the scale of of um of how well they're doing and and basically on that day the doctor's saying she's really declining you know our services here aren't gonna we're not gonna be able to help her any longer so the family is faced with this kind of bad news that they're gonna have to they don't know what's gonna happen next and um but they sort of move forward with um the birthday celebration they show the birthday girl some old slides of old trips that she took and it kind of spurs her memory in a way that she starts to, she launches into this beautiful monologue. And I think different people interpret it in different ways because the language is, is very fractured. Um, but it's sort of a, you know, part pep talk, part sales pitch, <laughs> part, you know, debate champion. She's sort of channeling all of her former selves to help her family to move forward, you know, um, the the process of having somebody with Alzheimer's or dementia is hard on the person itself. It's also hard on their family, and you you do need those pep talks sometimes, even if they come from unexpected places. Um, so that's sort of the basic. Um, but it really the execution of it in the way that Mary Beth speaks the speech is is what I think is worth watching. Um, um, how it uh, unrolls un, un, unfolds. There's this sense of it almost makes sense and you're just kind of, it's sort of jarring because you go back and forth, in my experience, of, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. wait, I kind of, okay, that's metaphorical, but I, I'm kind of with you. And then there's this, no, that makes no sense at all. Yeah. And you can see the expressions on her family's face, like really trying yep. mm-hmm. to say like, okay, is this what, is this what she, she's moving towards or is this kind of uh what she means but then this disappointment of no this makes no sense at all it's just done so in in a way it's eloquent it just doesn't make any sense yeah I mean I think it's that kind of back and forth of like do we sort of release into this into like Mm -hmm. this language and just try to follow her wherever she wants to take us or do we try to like push meaning onto it? Like, or can we just take this as sort of like a beautiful little joyous explosion that she's having and just kind of roll with, with it? it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is, you know, a thing that a lot of caretakers of people who have dementia or Alzheimer's struggle with where it's like, okay, can I just roll with this? Or do I try to force a logic onto it? Mm-hmm. And really, even when we were rehearsing it, um, you know, Mary Beth and I with the language, it was like, we don't, it doesn't have to make sense every 
beat, you know, like maybe this just feels good coming out of her mouth for this part of the sentence, or uh, maybe this is, she's, you know, cause I think, and, and to me, the language, it's sort of like when you're listening to Shakespeare at first, you know, not to say I'm like Shakespeare, but you know, in terms of it being foreign and being like, Oh, I'm hearing it. No, I lost it. No, I'm hearing it. No, I lost it. You know, um, to try to like ride the wave of sort of the, the poetry that's that's in there, um, even though it's a bit nonsensical. Oh, that's so fascinating! And and her character is dressed very uh, <laughs> elegantly. Am I am I remembering correctly? Does she have a little ascot or a little silk yes. scarf? Oh, I love that you caught that detail. Yeah, our costume designer Sarah Mayorino. I've worked with her on and off for about fifteen years, and she was so great at like finding something that spoke to who this character was for most of her life, which was like a very powerful businesswoman, um, you know, jet setter sort of woman about town, but that there was some details in how that style was being executed now that were sort of tells, you know, like it wasn't maybe her ass got like the necktie wasn't quite tied right, you know, sort of like so that she still looked beautiful and elegant. But if you looked closely, something maybe was a little off uh, slightly off that's that, that, that's so fascinating and oh so where did this uh film i know carol was in love with it and she mm. is the queen of all things aging she's yeah, such she's a very force. generous um where where was this shown and and i'm wondering uh where our audience now might be able to find this yeah um so it's it's been on the film festival circuit um, for a few months now. So like it was in London about two weeks ago. I'm going to Nashville this weekend for the Nashville Film Festival. So it's sort of continuing um, to hit all these festivals all over the country and internationally. Um, and the, the the two places online where you can see it, um, well, you can see it on Boom TV, um, but it, probably an easier link is just like on my website, on MaureenTowie.com, and you can like, okay. sort of follow the link to it there. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's popped up a couple other times. You know, it's been linked, uh, Playbill linked to it, like uh, the New York Star Ledger linked to it. There's other places that like as it's been covered, it's been popped up. But but yeah, if you if you Google Eighth Year of the Emergency and Maureen Towie, it'll pop up. Great. Let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Copper Compression, for supporting the Zestful Aging podcast. Copper Compression was in the news recently when they donated their entire stock of 18,000 masks to New York and New Jersey hospitals. Thank you so much for that. We're happy to work with a brand that has its values in the right place. Copper Compression offers a full range of copper-infused wellness products like braces, gloves, and sleeves that provide targeted relief and the support you need through your active recovery. They have the highest copper content on the market, guaranteed. Copper-infused fabric is really an amazing material. It has antimicrobial and anti-odor properties, and it helps increase blood flow. This unique combination of compression and copper gives you the strength to heal. 
Many of you know that I'm an avid tennis player and over the years I've had to deal with the pain of plantar fasciitis. And for those of you who haven't experienced it, it literally feels like walking on little nails. It is very painful. Uh, But their plantar fasciitis foot supports have really helped me. They're also offering a generous 30% off on your first order just for Zestful Aging listeners. So go to coppercompression.com forward slash Zestful Aging, or you can just use the promo code Zestful Aging at checkout for your discount. Again, a big thanks to Copper Compression for their support. So I... I would love to talk just a little bit about how you come to these aging projects as an artist mm-hmm. and what is your unique contribution because as we know aging's a really hot topic mm-hmm. and people are trying to understand it and do advocacy and all kinds of different stuff but you're coming to it not as a sociologist or or um an epidemiologist, you're coming to it as a storyteller and an artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I think I was initially drawn to this type of storytelling and and, and to older characters in general um, because I'm very close, um, particularly with one of my grandmothers. Both I, I, I'm very lucky to have two grandmothers that are alive, and there's one in particular that we have sort of a beautiful um, kinship and um, who she really has like an artistic spirit herself. Um, So I think that was part of the reason why I've been drawn to why a lot of my muses are over 65 Um, Mm. and, and kind of continue to be, you know, I think um, when I was at the New York times and I was doing, um, you know, immersive video for them. One of the series that we did was about dancers uh, that are, you know, over 70. And, um, you know, so we had them, we interviewed them about what it means to be an artist, a working artist for your entire life, and what it means when your body is your instrument and when that body starts to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, speaking to those people was so inspiring and gave me so much fuel for like how to live a good life um and they're they're the type of performers that I want to make work for you know um and I think there's just a lot um there's so much there particularly for artists at that or you know wait let me back up even you know when I was in my 20s I spent a year in South Africa as a Fulbright scholar and um one of the things that I observed there just at like parties and things was that often the best dancer in the room was the oldest person in the room, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. that person who was using sort of, um, the least, like the smallest movements that had like the most potency, you know? Um, and, and there, I just always find that over and over again, that like there is, there is power in age, um, and that those are stories that I feel like are really important. Mm-hmm. You talked a, a bit uh, before we started recording about memory and how mm-hmm. you approach memory, how you think about memory and memory decline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think... Well, you know, one of one of my earlier projects, um, the Penelope Project, which was a theater piece that we did... 
Um, this was with Sojourn Theatre, and we were working with Ann Basting, um, who is a theatre professor and an aging expert. For that, we set out to collaborate with, um, make a project with, by, and for a retirement community. So that was people in independent living and in assisted living and in the memory wing. And we ended up collaborating really closely with a lot of the residents in the memory wing, even though they were not people who would generally be considered able to be in a play. <laughs> um, and, you know, so we sort of invented um, a call and response system so that people could, um, you know, do sort of be in a dance or, or speak a speech. And so even if they hadn't remembered being in rehearsal, they could still participate. Um, and, and I think part of what we found with that was that um, sometimes people who didn't remember ever being in rehearsal before, their dance and their speech was improving. They were learning how to, you know, they were learning their part, even if they didn't remember our names from day to day. Um, so for me, like that was such a deep, wonderful lesson in not underestimating um, people who might be losing their memory in a traditional sense, that they can still have deep imagination, that they can still do, you know, learn in a different way, um, and that they are still deeply worthy of artistic collaboration. Um, it just, you know, maybe the traditional ways that we would collaborate need to be adjusted a little bit for their, um, you know, needs or abilities. So you're really talking about inclusivity, you're talking about appreciating the breadth of what someone has to offer, even if it's not in the traditional sense um, that we're all kind of uh, accustomed to. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so maybe the collaboration needs to slow down a little bit, or maybe the way that you would work with a professional actor versus the way you work with like a non-professional would, you know, I would adjust my process for different type of collaborators anyway, you know? Um, so I think when you can slow it down and allow it to be inclusive in that way, that it becomes much more potent in the long run, you know? Um, because especially with the Penelope project, you know, these folks that we were working with were bringing so much to the table so much emotion so much power so many jokes you know like <laughs> they were down to work they wanted to be useful mm -hmm. in this process you know um and 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 we wanted the same you know so it was it was wonderful to be able to figure out a way that that could work so as you've worked on these aging projects and brought in people who may have some memory loss and worked with them, does it change the way you look at sort of conventional art or conventional actors? I mean, yes and no. I think, you know, each process... I, you know, these, these processes have widened my idea of like what is possible for humanity in general um, and what is possible as the body changes and as the mind changes. Um, and, you know, it was interesting even doing the film where it was like, oh, we have seasoned pros like all over the place on this, you know, and so then you're able to like work really fast. And um, but at the same time, we shot that film in a functioning retirement community. So there had to be we had to keep ourselves in check for like, is this 
are we being authentic to this experience? Um, are we, you know, if somebody needs to move through with the assistance of a caretaker as we're about to shoot a scene like that, we have to hold that in what we're doing. You know what I mean? We can't remove the story from the truth of the lives of the people who are living this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that that for us was was important and um, and an exciting way to kind of keep us keep us feeling keep us close to the truth of of the characters that we were trying to um, to bring to life. The um, story and, and the story. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, um, and really like especially in a place like a retirement community to always second guess who you're looking at and what they might be capable of, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that, that I think is something that with the theater work that I've done that we've tried to sort of recast, um, some of these places where it's like, Oh, you think that this place and the people in this place are doing this and have this certain type of capacity, but you know, who, who knows who they are, who knows what they are capable Mm -hmm. of, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a really important part of, of the collaboration on a lot of these projects. Mm -hmm. Uh, what are you working on now? Um, yeah, I'm always working on a wide mix of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I have, I, I, well, First of all, I have a seventh month, seven month old baby, mm-hmm. so that's so that's that takes that's quite a big a time. that's a big project that yeah. I'm doing, <laughs> um, and he's been teaching me a lot as well about um, you know joy and uh-huh. growth and all of that and um, patience. I'm and, sure. Yes, yes, a hundred percent. And about grandparents, so that's sort of like an oh. amazing, beautiful new part of it: watching your parents become grandparents. Um, so uh, there's that. Um, I am also, the range of projects I have, I'm directing a fiction podcast for Gimlet. Um, oh. And I'm working on that with Jake Jepson, um, a great uh, playwright, writer. And um, I have a TV project that's in development um, that's an adaptation of the book Man Be Nature by Dan- Diane Cook. Um, my co-writer on that is Dan Murphy, and we're working with the Department of Motion Pictures on that. They are um, the folks who produce Beasts in Southern Wild. And um, and then I'm the, well, I don't, can I announce that publicly yet? <laughs> Sorry. There's a couple other things that I, in, in the live performance area that I, I don't think I'm allowed to say publicly uh-huh. yet. Yeah, we don't want to get you in any <laughs> trouble here. Yeah, yeah. And then and then I do some work with Pop-Up Magazine as well, um, which is a wonderful live magazine. And I'm sort of their like um, live performance theater music person um, that helps to recruit contributors and to do sort of stage magic-y type of stuff. So, yeah, I like to keep my hands in a wide <laughs> range of projects um it kind of keeps me on my toes oh my goodness and so how I, I I'm always interested to hear how my guests navigate you know their creative lives and their work lives and all this stuff and also not get burned out or not mm. exhaust themselves are there mm-hmm. ways that you have uh built-in times of uh, restoring yourself? I mean, I think part of the way that I've built 
my career in in pivoting between disciplines does help me to recharge um when i've been doing something for sort of too long and feel like i'm gonna get burnt out and so i you know that's part of the reason this short film came about right was because i was working at the new york times for about two and a half years um which is unusual for me to be working at one place just you know um but it's a good you know the new york times is a good it's excuse a good gig, to, yeah. yeah it's a good gig <laughs> yeah um but it's also exhausting you know at the project the daily 360 that we did we produced a, a vr 360 video every day for um about 14 16 months we, we made about 400 pieces wow. um and which was wonderful and it felt like kind of creative weightlifting you know like here we go f tell the story find it go 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 um and at the end of it i needed something totally different you know i was like okay now i'm gonna i'm gonna you know stop this type of work and pivot back to something that's fiction or something that's live performance and and then I think then when I turn to those other things, my well is surprisingly full um, mm -hmm. when it's, you know, thinking through problem solving in a different medium. Um, so, yeah, so it's sort of been an adaptation that has worked for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's the I love the idea of having the variety. It really it is really refreshing. I've I've found that as well creatively. Is there anything you'd like to leave our audience with in terms of, you know, the aging experience and thinking about aging? Um, I mean, I think I am so appreciative of um, excited, enthusiastic audiences, you know, like I love when work about older characters is embraced and, um, and discussed and, um, you know, discussed not is is this you know what i mean um, when when work about older characters is is embraced and that it's mm -hmm. considered to be like an exciting lead in a play or a movie mm -hmm. should be an 80 year old woman like uh you know a lead dancer in the choreography should be you know a 90 year old like there's no reason mm -hmm. Why not? You know, um, and I think when people show up and show their enthusiasm for stories like that, it helps more of them to be told, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that your listeners, <laughs> if they're listening to Zestful Aging, they probably believe that, too. So I might be preaching mm -hmm. to the choir a little bit for that. Um, but to know that there are hidden stories at, uh, in people of every age. Mm hmm. Well, you're also talking about confronting ageism, just plain and simple. A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I mean, and it has been interesting having a short film with a, an older character and where that is embraced and where that isn't, you know, um, and that's been kind of eye opening, you know, and that's part of the reason even when I was at the New York Times that I was really advocating for stories about aging and collaborations that it's like, okay, let's do a collaboration between the dance department, the dance critic, and, you know, whoever would cover aging and show that this is, you know, it's in every, it should be in every sphere of the coverage there, you know, um, mm -hmm. and there's possibilities to collaborate in, in all kinds of ways. Um, so yeah, yeah, it is, it is facing ageism for sure. And using storytelling as kind of a weapon, um, to combat that. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that. I have not heard about that storytelling as a weapon. That's, mm-hmm. that's beautiful. So remind my audience where they can find out more about you and, and your multitude <laughs> of uh, initiatives and, and projects. Yeah, probably my website is the best place to look. So Maureen Towie, T-O-W-E-Y is my last name, dot com. Um, yeah, and I have a whole range of, of pieces there. Um, so yeah, that's the best place to learn more. That sounds great. Thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule. I really appreciate getting your perspective on, you know, aging and, and how it can be approached in, in a fresh way. Wonderful. Thanks so much. This was a pleasure to, to speak with you. My conversation with Maureen Towie really touched my heart. She's not just another super talented woman promoting her work. Uh, Maureen's work is motivated by a special relationship with her grandmother, and that relationship has influenced how she sees the world. She wants to see older people people taking the lead in the arts and wants others to recognize their value. It was such a privilege to speak with Maureen and understand the woman behind all of those awards. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. Hello, Zesties. I want to tell you about one of my all-time favorite exercise and stress reduction tools, which I am really relying on during this quarantine. But I've sung its praises for years. The benefits are seemingly endless. Uh, It's great for toning and strengthening muscles. It improves your lymph system, your metabolism. It helps with joint pain and balance. And it's even used by NASA astronauts because it's such an efficient way to exercise. And if you're older or you're worried about your balance, you can order a stabilizer bar to hang on to. I'm talking about my NEDAC Rebounder mini trampoline. I put on my music and I have my own dance party. Because for me, exercise needs to be fun and invigorating. Otherwise, I don't want to do it. Now is not the time for the philosophy of no pain, no gain, because we're in enough pain. This is a way to feel good and energized and have fun. It really does help mood as well. And I like that NEDAC is made in the USA and it is really solid. I've had mine for 15 years and it's still in great shape. The NEDAC Rebounder will help us get through this quarantine in better shape mentally and physically. And there's also a model that folds up if space is an issue. One of my clients puts it on her driveway and uses it while she's watching her kids during the quarantine. Anyway, I can't recommend NEDAC Rebounders enough. They are a worthwhile investment in your health and overwhelm overall well-being, especially now. If you are interested in a mini trampoline, please don't buy a cheap one. Those can be actually dangerous, and it is really worth 
uh, investing in a good quality one. And right now, if you use the coupon code just for Zestful Aging listeners, the code is Zestful, they are going to include a free cover for you. So go to NEDAC.com. It's N-E-E-D-A-K. Dot com. And if you have any questions, you can contact me at zestfulaging.com. I really am their biggest fan. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And too much stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used up. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.